Oh my goodness, I have so many feelings. I, um, most of you would never know, but years ago I had opportunity to preach here. And I, I've preached out in the hallway there. I preached in the old building, wherever direction that is. And, uh, and driving in today, I was just overwhelmed with all the houses that used to be farm country. And I came from the south. And my goodness, you have such a ministry opportunity in front of you. I want to congratulate you today, by the way, on being here. With all the opportunities in the Northwest to have good weather in the summertime, and you, by the Spirit of God prompting you, chose to be here this day in this hour, it's no mistake that God has something for you. May not be from me, maybe from someone you're sitting next to, but God has something for you today. Be on alert to hear what God is saying to you today. It, it, it's such a joy to be here. I, um, I have all these thoughts. I have lots written down. And I just, all the drive up here, I, I live down in the South Sound, kind of between Shelton and Bremerton. If you know that area, South Sound, Case Inlet, I live in a little uh, hamlet called Grapeview. Most people don't know it. Most people call it Grapevine if they've never been there. Uh, but it's Grapeview and... My wife and I have been there for 14 years now. And, you know, I think I'll just go ahead and tell you some of my story. Would that be okay? All right. Uh, background. I was born in Spokane. I'm a Northwest kid. I was raised in Spokane. My parents were in the same house for 42 years. I went to school in Portland, you know, college in Portland, and then also transferred back to Spokane and graduated from Whitworth University. I met my wife there. We've been married, Susie and I, for 46 years. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> we have uh, four children. One is in heaven. We have uh, three uh, surviving children and seven grandchildren. And they range from 16 to 6 months. So we, uh, we have kind of a full plate. That's a real joy in life. Two and a half years ago, I stepped away from the Converge position, which I held for close to 14 years. I was the president of the Northwest. My territory was Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. I can say that so fast because I said it so many times those 14 years. And my job was to work with churches. And I want to encourage you while I'm having this thought, please be in prayer for this search committee. Oh my goodness, I worked with dozens of search committees through those years, and I have to tell you, it is a difficult job. I, I, I wouldn't be giving away any trade secrets if I told you that on more than one occasion, many times more than just one occasion, I had to talk the chairman of search committee from jumping off the cliff. You know, I just, they, they were ready to just end it all. And is the chairman here today? Yeah. Oh, good. That's a good sign. That's a real good sign. That, so just you keep praying for, for him right there. The, uh, the years in between when I grew up and, and then served in that position, uh, I served in 
number of churches, four different churches, 25 years in pastoral ministry. I'm one of those guys that burned out in ministry, that the burden uh, and weight of ministry on my life was difficult. I'll just tell you, it was very difficult because I got out of seminary 25 years old with a with a Masters of Divinity, and I went out charging to change the world like we do at that age. And it wasn't really too long before I realized I'm standing in front of people telling them how life works or should work, and my life wasn't working. Anyone have that experience? Life isn't working. Well, I, uh, I burned out and I dropped out. I actually dropped out of ministry about 23 years ago and spent five years running my own business, just consulting. And then I got called back into ministry. You wouldn't know this, but the majority of pastors who, who leave ministry never come back. In fact, did you know that about 15, I think it's, you know, it's 1,700 pastors a month drop out of ministry in the United States. If you do the math, it's 20,000 a year. I look at the, uh, it's more than 20, I don't know what the number is. I can't remember, I had this down and I didn't write it down. There's an issue with age, by the way. The, uh, anyway, I figured it out. In my career, about one million pastors have dropped out of ministry. That's why we pray for these guys. This is a difficult position. You just, you carry, and on a lot of professional positions are like this, you, you just carry a heavy load, and you have to do this emotional elasticity where you're really happy for the person who just got their job. Oh, you're pregnant. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh, you lost your job. Oh, your child is a mess. You, you get the idea. You're just like, and that's all in three seconds or, you know, 10 seconds out there. Why is all this important to you? Why would I tell you this? Because I want you to know that your life can work, that there are ways to make it work, and I've, I've learned it the hard way. I, I, I didn't tell you that where I grew up in Spokane, I, I grew up in a little area, any Spokaneites? There's a couple. Hilliard, you know where Hilliard is? I grew up in Hilliard, so... Uh, I was pretty proud that I grew up in Hilliard because it was called Hill Yard because James Hill, the railroad baron, had his switchyard there, and we lived next to those tracks. But the poor kids, they lived on the other side of the tracks in an area called Dogtown. You know, you don't want to grow up in Dogtown, do you? No, I was proud. I grew up in Hilliard. I was 30 years old before it dawned on me that when you live as close to the tracks as we did, it really didn't matter what side you were on. <laughs> Why, again, is this important to you? I just want you to know it doesn't matter where you start and it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can make your life work and God wants to work in you. Why would I say that? Because these are difficult times. I'm talking about pastors in difficult times. I'm talking about my life over time and difficulty. The psalmist talks about when life is hard. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 11. I really like Psalm 11. I'll show you why. It's not long. I'll read the whole thing. Reading from the New International Version. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? 
For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. It's such a, an interesting text because though I've lived a long life so far, I often hear people say, these are the hardest times I've ever seen. I just want you to know hard times are the lot of this world. <laughs> in David's time, when he wrote this psalm, it's instructed to him by someone saying, take refuge in the mountain, flee, start running, get out. Have you had that feeling yourself? I just want to take off. If I could just move to Montana. <laughs> Aha, I touched a note, a nerve. Maybe for you, it's Idaho. If I could just flee. But notice his response. In the Lord, I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee? And then this person asks in verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Does that resonate with you at all? When the foundations are being destroyed. We live in a time when it's just craziness is popular. <laughs> craziness is not called crazy. The world is turned upside down. I'm not here to be political, but I used to, I'll just say it this way, I used to know what a definition of a woman was. I used to know the definition of a recession. I used to know, you know, all these things just get turned. And the world has just changed. And the foundations that we have, most of us, have grown up with are being destroyed. What are the righteous to do? That is the question. It's really my question for the day. All my other words up to this point just bring you to that question. When the foundations are being destroyed, what do the righteous do? It is the question for the church in the 21st century. We're not the home team anymore. We, we live in a time when the foundations that we understood are undermined. What do the righteous do? Now, if you're not a believer and you're hearing all this, I just want you to understand for those of us who have committed our life to Christ and followed him and look at the scripture, the Bible, as the word of God that gives us guidance and hope, all this, all this new wokeness kind of thinking that is man-centered rather than God-centered leaves us who are believers confused. 
we feel our foundation is being undermined. What do the righteous do? He goes on to say, first of all, what do the righteous do? They remember God is in his heaven. <laughs> I love the last song that we sang, the Ancient of Days. That it was perfect song. I've got Ancient of Days written here in my notes. I'm going to give you uh, three basic thoughts about what do the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed. The first, well, let me, let me just put it in a context for you. Anyone watch the Seahawks game last night? Any wild fans? So, yeah, I mean, even preseason games, I watched all the way to the end. I can't believe I did that. But it was exciting. I mean, the game was won by the other team in the last three seconds. But it was still exciting. And the Seahawks, a few years ago, they had an uh, advertisement theme. It was bigger, stronger, faster. Remember that one? And they just said it over and over again. The Seahawks, they wanted to be bigger, stronger, faster. When I heard that, I thought at the time, wow, that is the world's solution for everything. If we could just be bigger and stronger and faster. And I think to myself, but I don't think that's what God is calling us to. So here are three words, the three things that I will say. Here's how the, the righteous respond when the foundations are falling. Older, deeper, higher. Three words for you. Older, deeper, higher. When the foundations are being destroyed, what do the righteous do? They rebuild the foundation. They make sure that your own personal foundation is strong. <laughs> I, one of my favorite sermons of all time, anyone familiar? Some of you young people, I, you forgive me for my, you know, look back into ancient history 20 years ago. And... Um, there was a, a preacher, African-American preacher in L.A. named E.V. Hill. Anyone familiar with E.V. Hill? Best sermon I've ever heard was presented by E.V. Hill in Minnesota, and he was preaching on this text, verse 3 in particular. What do the righteous do when, when the foundation, this is me being African-American, so forgive me if it's offensive. What do the righteous do? Or When the foundations are being destroyed, what do the righteous do? And his response in his Texas accent, report for duty. And then he said it about 30 or 40 times. Report for duty. Report for duty. When foundations are being destroyed, report for duty. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Report for duty. Why should I flee to the mountain when my job is to Report for duty. That's like half of you are getting it. The other half are still reliving the last three seconds of the game against the Steelers last night. <laughs> when the foundations are being destroyed, what do the righteous do? They report for duty. And Well, how do we report for duty? Is it bigger, stronger, faster? No. Older, deeper, higher. What I mean by that. <laughs> what I mean by that. It's funny, I just looked at my notes and I thought, oh, I've skipped all of that. <laughs> Older, deeper, higher. What I mean by that is that we need to focus on the older truths. That's why I liked the ancient of days. 
We are dealing with older realities, older truths. Francis Schaeffer would say in his day, true truth. As David says in this psalm, God is on his throne. Have faith. He is at work. He is the ancient of days. Now, this is churchy political. I've run, I, I just have to know that I, I was involved with church leadership teams for those 15 years. Our churches often have a fascination with the new. And I'm sorry to say, in my career, these last uh, decade and a half, before I stepped down, I heard more conversations about technology than I heard about renovating of hearts. Bigger, stronger, faster when God's calling us to remember older, deeper, higher. How do we go about renovating the hearts? We can't flee. I've heard more about parking and programs than deep abiding trust in a personal, eternal, all-powerful, gracious, loving God. Don't hear me wrong. Let the strategies be worked. But we have an opportunity to point others to the deeper powers at play. There's a grand strategy far older, the ancient of days who had a plan in place before the foundations were laid. Ephesians 1, 4 says, for, the, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Titus says, in, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. It says in 1 Peter 1, 20 that, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for our sake. Isn't that amazing? Older. It's an older story. We deal with things that are far beyond our comprehension. And they're good. His plan for us is good. Well, Let me pause for you, because older, deeper, higher is important, but I do want to go back to the introduction that I skipped, because I just want to say, it helps in the end. <laughs> the introduction actually had the word surprise in it. Maybe God's timing is that I bring it up now. Surprise. The Lord often surprises us, but the world surprises us well, us as well. The, uh, the whole concept of surprise is interesting when you think that I love a surprise or I hate a surprise. And I, I'd really actually like to see a show of hands because some of you are saying, I love a surprise. No, I hate a surprise. Go ahead and raise your hand. I hate a surprise. I hate surprise. Yeah, see, see. Notice around you, don't plan the secret party. Um, how many love a surprise? Yeah, we've got lovers of surprises as well. How many don't raise their hand no matter what? I just like, <laughs> yeah. I get you, I'm usually there with you. I, I mean, there was a surprise in our family once long ago that uh, we were in Disneyland. My nephew, who was small at the time, but big enough to get on the, uh, the roller coaster that is uh, a railroad train, Thunder Mountain. 
and he was sitting with his dad in the front row, and he'd hated Disneyland. I should have told you that. He hated Disneyland. Every time they took him to anything, he'd just go, I hate it. I hate it. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, I hate it. Just, you know, whatever. But he loved trains as a rule. Now he's on a train and he's going up the hill in the front row. Chugga, 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 chugga. You know the ride? And as he moves to the top, he looks out to the right and there's one of the trains that's ahead of him. It's now careening down the hill. People, arms are up screaming, ah, like that. And just as they crest the hill, he turns to his dad and says, boy, dad, I'm sure glad we're not on that ride. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> That's kind of the way life works for most of us, isn't it? It's a roller coaster ride, and sometimes we think we got it wired, and sometimes we think life's making is working, and then surprise. And when those surprises come, it's important to remember older. That our God is older and he's not surprised. He is the ancient of days. He's had a plan from the beginning. Now deeper, this is a surprise as well. What do I mean by deeper when we're rebuilding the foundation? And I know I'm mixing metaphors, by the way. I thought about that all the way here. We're rebuilding the foundation spiritually in our lives, but we're going to go deeper. And what I mean by that is that God wants to work in us at a deeper level. So like when I burned out in ministry 23 years ago, God needed to do a deeper work in my life. He wasn't done with me yet. I wasn't handling life well. I had teenage children. I had pressures in ministry. I had financial pressures. I don't know. Has anyone ever had teenage issues or anyone ever had financial issues or anyone ever had health issues? And when those things occur, one of the things that we want to do, a natural tendency often is we want to flee, like verse 1 in Psalm 11. But it's time to rebuild the foundation. How do we do that? We go deeper. We allow the Spirit of God to go deeper into our lives, to work at a deeper level. The illustrations, I suppose, might be illustrations of reconciliation, forgiveness, renewal, restoration of grace in your own life. I told you some of my story. I'll tell you this one, too. When I got ready to turn 60 years old, I know most of you thought I was younger, but when I was getting ready to turn 60, God started moving in my heart like a deep reevaluation and cleansing of my life. He was doing a deeper work. His Holy Spirit was working on me, and as a result, I, I ended up going back to people that I had known for those previous 60 years that I had questions about our relationship. Had I offended them? Had I hurt them? I went back as far as high school. I went back 40 years. And I called people up, and it was really encouraging in a way. There were some that... I, there was one fellow that I hadn't talked to in 19 years. He'd been my best friend at one time. He and I 
were working together, and then we had a split, separation, I don't know what you want to call it, but I tried to maintain the relationship. We were living apart, you know, in different cities. I called him up to try and maintain this relationship, and he was cold on the phone, and finally he said to me, you know, Steve, you never have to call me again. Ever had your best friend say, don't ever call me again? And I didn't for 19 years, and I lived with the weight of that. Now, here I am closing in on 60, and I'm thinking, man, I, I just walked away from that. I did flee. And so the Spirit moved in my heart, and I found out where he lived. I called him. I contacted him. He came to the phone. I didn't think that he would, but he did. It's been so long since I'd heard his voice, I didn't recognize him at all. And I confessed about, you know, my part of the issue. And he said he had his too, and we reconciled. Do you know how liberating that was for me? That's a deeper work of the Spirit. God's continuing to work in us. You know, Philippians 1.6 is my life verse. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet until he takes you home. I can tell you about my mother-in-law. I used to have my favorite joke about my mother-in-law. Mixed emotions. Seeing your mother-in-law drive your brand new Cadillac off a cliff. It wasn't funny then either, so... <laughs> she laughed always, but... She just passed away two weeks ago. Uh, in a few weeks, she would have been 101 years old. She's been our neighbor next door for the last 14 years. And I watched her become a softer, more kind, more gracious, more giving, always a giving, but a forgiving and gracious kind of person these last 10 years in particular in her life. And I... Not to be harsh on her, but, you know, I don't want to wait a century before I learn the lessons God wants for me to learn. I want to be soft and allow the Spirit to work in me deeply now. Does that make sense? Okay, one out of 150. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I just want to challenge you. Open your heart to let the Spirit work deeply in you. Ask Him. Just go ahead and ask Him, Lord, what would you show me? How do I need to clean up my life? How do I need... And it may not be that you're like a terrorist or anything like that, but we all fall short of the glory of God, and it's His grace that washes over us that allows us to even have these conversations. Older, deeper, Higher. What are the higher things? Well, I think this is where we want to focus on the higher things of life. We live in a culture that is completely dedicated to low values, at least the popular culture. The popular culture is dedicated to money, sex, and power, and, and noise. So <laughs> I don't know where that came from. God bless you, it's all right. Um, I, I just think that 
we should be called to higher values. The high values of love and grace and forgiveness. The kind of uh, values that, that reflect God's nature. And now for a temporary technology <laughs> Rob had to help me figure out how to put this thing on. Oh, he's going to use this. Or let me help you with that. Let me just do it this way. Am I on the right side? No, I'm on the wrong side. Oh, here. Okay, don't get too excited this Well, time. no, it's okay. <laughs> I was just, just practicing my speech, and I want to bring world peace, and uh, <laughs> I was waiting for the sash to come. <laughs> All right. I have no idea what I was talking about. Anybody remember? Higher values, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kind of values that God is calling us toward. And, and I think we need to be committed to those over and above money, sex, power. I, I, we just live in this strange time through social media where teenagers have influence. In fact, they're, they're called influencers. You know this one teenage gal that she has 12 million followers on her Instagram account and she's called an influencer so advertisers will give her money for her to wear something I don't know who it is I just read about it so there's not a lot of influence in my life but for 12 million others there are now my influence I've got an Instagram account with nearly a hundred people I think maybe But the influence that we want to have is the Holy Spirit's influence in people's lives. If I can help one person change their life and live with higher values, to live committed to the ancient of days, to be devoted to allowing God to work deep in our lives, in my life, and help them have God work deeply in their life, my life has meaning and purpose. I get to be back here next week, so isn't that exciting for you? Um, the, I don't know, maybe I'll just talk about a surprise in my life, kind of tie, hopefully tie it together. I didn't tell you about an earlier time in my life when I was six years old, and I was visiting my uncle's farm in Bow, Washington. Anyone where no Bow is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're pretty close. My dad's brother had a farm up there, and we'd visit every summer. I was six years old, much younger than the rest of the family. I was put to bed early. I won't tell you the part about almost burning the barn down earlier in the day, because I, well, I was playing with matches, and I was in the barn. I'll tell you this part. I, I was in the barn, and I took a comic book, and I guess I was a, had a scientific mind because I wanted to see if comic books would burn. Well, guess what? <laughs> it burned. And it dropped, I dropped it into the hayloft, and I, I stomped it out, fortunately. I didn't kill myself then. 
Uh, I covered the burned straw with fresh straw and left. No one knew about it. But I was put to bed early that night. It's summertime. We're on vacation from Spokane. And I'm young, so they put me to bed early. It's upstairs. It's an old farmhouse. Just think of an old farmhouse with a center stairway right up the side. Kitchen here, living room here, bedroom in the back, right? Pretty much all there was. And there was an outhouse. And uh, I'm upstairs alone in my cousin's area where he slept. The upstairs was just like a big open room only in a, in a, a letter U. There's a big wall. You go up the stairway wall here. You come around and around and around, and then, you know, you're on the back of the U. To get to the stair, you got to leave there, and you got to come all the way around and come to the stair and then down the center stair. Can you picture it? Well, I still had the matches, and I decided I would do some more science experiments, and I was trying to melt pennies um, <laughs> on my cousin's nightstand. Just so you know, with matches, you can't generate enough heat to melt copper. Um, <laughs> didn't work. So I got bored with that. So what I did, and I was kind of in this part of the house, not that part of the house and not that part of the house. I was right here in the front. And I got bored with the pennies, so I got up and I went back into that back corner, kind of a storage area, and there was a big pile of old, well, they were pillows, foam rubber pillows. And I know what you're thinking, same thing I was thinking then, I wonder if foam rubber pillows melt. And so I lit a match, and of course the answer is no, they don't melt especially when they're old and dry, they just explode <laughs> into flame. And the flame went up the wall, and it was beyond me instantly. I went tearing out this way and this way and this way and down the center stairs. They're down here in the kitchen, and I'm screaming, fire, fire, fire. No one's paying attention to the six-year-old who's just making noise. Finally, I got enough attention. My aunt said, I'll take care of it. She took the time to fill two pans with water and walked up the stairs and came. By this time, the smoke is filling all this, and uh, <laughs> she came down the stairs yelling, fire, 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 and everyone, <laughs> everyone was paying attention at that point. Last thing I really remember is much more, obviously, but it was the first time I ever saw my mom cry. We were sitting in the car about 100 who knows how far away from the house, just watching the flames go through the roof. My dad, my uncle, carrying furniture out the front door. It was 34 years later. I, I lived with guilt and shame about that. I, I grew up in the kind of family where that wasn't talked about. And so I always felt shame because we just never talked about it. It was too painful, I guess. 34 years later, I've, I'm leaving the... I've left the, the pastorate in California, and I, I've come up to, back up to the Seattle area, and I have a church in North Seattle, and I'm, I'm being installed. And guess who shows up? My Uncle Bill. I think he was about 86 at the time. And he came in, and, and to describe my Uncle Bill, he was kind of a big barrel of a guy, wore overalls, um, kind of a red-green sort of character, with an extra 100 pounds, if you know who Red Green is. And he's there. I'm really surprised. Surprised. 
And I walked up to him and I said, Uncle Bill, so glad you're here. And I screwed up the courage. I said, Uncle Bill, we've never talked about this, but I just want to say, I, remember when I burned your house down? <laughs> 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 he said, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I said, we've never talked about it. I've never said anything. I, I just want you to know how sorry I am. His response was so fascinating because he said, what? <laughs> Didn't they tell you? Tell me what? Said, they didn't tell you, he said. Tell me what? I can't believe they didn't tell you. <laughs> tell me what? He said, that old house, that old dried-up rat trap, I had insurance on that house. I got a brand-new house out of the deal. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I lived with guilt for 34 years. And for him, it was like, what a blessing. I think to my life, I think to myself, when you are caught up in what's going on in this world right now, and there's just this feeling inside where you want to flee, and you think, what do I do? The foundations are being destroyed. Would you just remember this day? Oh, I can rebuild my foundation. I just want to rely on the older things. I want to rely on the deeper work. I want to rely on the higher values and rebuild my foundation. And that as a result, someday you'll be able to say, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a joy to be in your presence today. I marvel at how the music tied in, especially that last song, with what I had wanted to say all along. I thank you for the patience of these good folks that are hungry for your word, they're hungry for your spirit. Lord, if there's anyone here who, who's not feeling your hunger right now, I pray you just move in their hearts. Would, would you just activate and, and draw them to yourself. And for those of us, Lord, that, that like struggle with making life work, would, would you help us too? We trust you, we love you, we believe in you. We want to do, as the writer of Hebrews says, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We know you're not done with us. We live in difficult times. We confess that to you. We know it. And by faith, we also know we can get through if we're willing to go older, deeper, higher with our thinking and let you work. Work in us now, Lord. Even now, you're bringing things to mind in people's hearts. May they have a desire to just Keep their eyes open for Jesus and have a Jesus story this week. A Jesus experience. We love you. We give this day to you. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's all stand.
and repeat after me. You ready? Older. Older. Deeper. Deeper. Higher. Higher. Go with God. Mm-hmm.